So the format of this session is to have three speakers share for 20 minutes their experience, strength, and hope on the topic, followed by open pitches. This is a one-and-a-quarter-hour meeting. Our topic is amends, humility, not humiliation. I will now read from the selected reading, which is, When we finish our amends, most of us feel closer to our higher power than ever before. That's from the OA 12 and 12, page 80 and 81. Wreckage of the past keeps me focused on others. This provides a distraction from my side of the street and my part of the story. Focusing outward means I am still driven by guilt, resentment, or shame. None of these emotions permit me to be centered or to stay in the moment. They distract me as much as compulsive overeating does. When I do a ninth step, I am facing my relationship problems head on. I can then say I have done what I can to right whatever wrongs I caused in the past and have changed my behavior towards people in the present. By doing this, I slowly bulldoze out the debris of shame, resentment, and guilt. I then have space to let lightness. Spirituality is the essence of lightness. And that part is from Voices of Recovery, page 245. So now we'll get going with our speakers. And our first speaker today is Christina from Oakland. Please help me welcome her. Hi, my name is Christina. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm a little nervous, but I'll just try to get going here. Um, and I want to start by saying that I was really excited about this topic. I got a call from Michelle, and she read me this long list of topics they still need speakers for. And most of them I was kind of like, oh, that's a good topic, but not really feeling motivated or, or inspired about it. And um, when she got to amends, I was like, oh, that's a great one. And um, this is one of the scary, scary topics, amends, you know, when you come into this program. The fourth step and the ninth step are the ones that, uh, if you're like me, you're like, no, I can't do those. I'm never going to do them. And um, and it, what turned out to be true is that doing steps eight and nine was an enormously um, liberating part of my program. It was so, um, as scary as it seemed, I never could have imagined that it would have been as wonderful as it was. Um, so I'm really grateful for doing these steps. And I'll just start out by letting you know why I'm here. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a garden variety compulsive overeater. I came to OA because I could not control my food. And I was obsessed with my body, just obsessed. My body uh, image was so distorted. I had no idea what I looked like. I spent huge amounts of time obsessing about um, how I was going to control it, how I was going to lose weight, how did I look, what did you think of me? Um, and hating myself because even though I wanted to have the perfect body, I couldn't seem to control what went in my mouth. And, um, you know, just it was like the, the arm went to the mouth automatically and I couldn't control it and I hated myself. And I came to OA because it wasn't working anymore. Um, whatever little hit or buzz I was getting from the food, I wasn't getting it anymore. I hated myself every time before the first bite got in my mouth. And I didn't, I didn't want to do it anymore, but I couldn't seem to stop. And I had no conception of a higher power. I wasn't raised in a home that was spiritual or religious in any way. I thought that was for stupid people. Um, I didn't have any friends. I was incredibly lonely, but I was really, I had this front up like, oh, I'm not going to let you show it. I don't have friends because people are stupid. And um, I didn't have any dreams or goals for the future. I was resentful and afraid and self-hating, and I couldn't stop eating compulsively. And that's why I came here. Um, really, I just came because I couldn't stop eating compulsively, and then I got here and I heard people talk about all those other emotional and spiritual problems that I had, and I was like, wow, I really, really relate. 
And um, so I've been coming to Overeaters Anonymous for 10 years. I started when I was 18. And I'm grateful that my life was as empty as it was at 18 because it allowed me to come and stay if I had a boyfriend or some friends or a cool job or, um, you know, I was going to college or any of those cool things. I might have thought, no, I'm not that bad, but I was that bad because I didn't have any of those things. And so I came and I stayed. And I've been abstinent for about nine years and um, nine months or something like that. Um, and... And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I, I don't have time to talk about all the things I want to say about doing amends, but the first thing I'll just say is that um, the steps are in order for a really good reason. And I was talking to a sponsee the other day who's on step one, and she was talking about being afraid of the amends process, and I said, you know, I do the same thing. I think into the future about this thing I'm going to have to do, and I'm really afraid about it, whether it's the step I'm going to have to take or something else, an outside part of my life. And I forget that between, between where I am now and that day, things are going to change. And by working the first seven steps, you become ready to make amends. And um, if I tried to make amends when I first came in here, I would have made the biggest mess. Uh, I would have made people more mad. I would have caused more wreckage. And so um, it's really a good thing that I got to work all those other steps and, and deal with um, the other things before I started running around talking to people. Um, steps one through seven are really about me, my higher power, and my sponsor. Steps eight and nine are the first ones where I really start going out into the world and talking to other people about what I did and, you know, trying to change my behavior. Um, and step six and seven really confused me. I didn't understand, like, how do you get entirely ready to let go of character defects and how do they get gone? I don't understand. And I really understood, after I started on 8 and 9, I really understood that now I get to practice doing things differently. All these character defects that showed up, um, the ones that related to my relationships with people, now I get to learn how to do things differently. Um, steps 8 and 9 for me were really about relationships. Um, I didn't come into this with a lot of financial wreckage. I know some people have huge financial amends to make, but that wasn't my story. So for me, these steps were about changing the way I interacted with people. Um, I like the title of this workshop a lot because I was afraid I was going to be humiliated in doing my amends. And I, I was trying to find, my, in my last-minute preparations, because I always wait till the last minute to do everything, I was trying to find this line in the literature, and I couldn't find it, but it's somewhere in the AA literature where it says, as God's people... We stand on our feet. We don't grovel before anyone, to paraphrase. It says something like that. And, um, and I was really afraid that doing amends meant that I was going to have to um, say things to people who had fucked me over, but go to them and say, well, I, I'm sorry I did this, and that I was going to be, like, laying myself on the floor to be, to be walked on. I was really afraid of that. And um, my sponsor assured me over and over that that was not what it was going to be like, and she wasn't going to tell me to do anything that I was going to get hurt doing. Um, and as it turns out, you know, the amends weren't about being humiliated. It was about being freed of all this guilt that I had. So how I worked these steps was, first of all, it was essential that I had a sponsor. If there's, uh, you know, anything that I needed guidance on, it was doing a ninth step. Uh, I could make the list by myself, but there's no way that I could go to people and make amends without running it by somebody. I just would have come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. So what I did was I read the, um, you know, I read in the, the OA and the AA books. I read the steps. 
And I sat down and I made a list of people that I felt like I owed amends to. And um, it was because I was, you know, somebody who really, really isolated um, and didn't have a lot of relationships. The list wasn't very long. It was mostly members of my family, um, a few people that I'd known through work or school, um, myself, I was on there, a few other miscellaneous people, but mostly it was members of my family. Um, when I came to this program, I felt like there was so much hatred and anger inside of me that when I opened my mouth, terrible things came out and I couldn't control them. And um, it was like I couldn't control what went in my mouth, I couldn't control what came out of my mouth. Um, and I said some really, really terrible, terrible verbally abusive, mean, nasty things to the members of my family because they were who was there. I was 18 years old. I was living at home. I said shitty, shitty things. Um, I was a mean person. And, um, and I knew that what I was saying was wrong, but I couldn't apologize. I had too much pride, and I couldn't stop myself from acting that way. So I had a lot of amends to make um, with family members. So I wrote down all these names, and then I wrote down what I thought I had done to harm them, and I read it to my sponsor. And um, then I wrote down what I thought the right amends would be. And sometimes it, wasn't, it was really clear, and sometimes it wasn't clear, and I had to talk about it more with my sponsor or do more writing. Um, and then, you know, if we had determined that I was entirely ready to do this, um, then, you know, we formulated a little plan, and I went ahead and did it, which sounds really simple, but it wasn't that simple. Um, so I'm going to tell you about a few of the amends that that were big for me. It talks in the OA 12 and 12 about forgiveness. Um, and I mark the page here. If I can find it fast enough. Um, it says, the sponsor will often encourage us to think about forgiveness as we work through step eight. As long as we have not forgiven people for harms they have done us, we will find it impossible, impossible to make sincere amends to them for our side of the conflict. Even in cases where we manage to muster the willingness to talk to them, we're very likely to bring up their mistakes and wind up insulting them rather than making amends. Even if we don't bring up their mistakes directly, our ill will toward them will come through in other ways if we have not truly forgiven them. And, um, and that was my experience with working this step. Um, one of the, the biggest amends that I made, um, or the one that had the biggest impact on me, was making amends to my mother. And this was somebody who I had held a resentment against for um, so long, for stuff that I thought she had done or not done, ways that she, I felt like she failed me when I was um, a teenager, and um, ways that I felt like she failed my siblings. And um, my mom wasn't a bad mom, so it wasn't like I could cut her off. I just walked around in this resentful mode, so she wanted to spend time with me, and I'd drag my heels, and I'd bitch, and I'd show up, and I wouldn't have a good attitude, and I'd say snappy little things, and um, I mean, this was a vast improvement over pre-program when I was just straight outright bitchy and, and mean, but I was still not very nice, and this was in-program. I was still carrying around this resentment for years, and I wrote about it on my fourth step, but I just couldn't get to the heart of it. I wasn't ready to let go of it, and I got to step eight, and... Um, and my sponsor was like, you know what, you're ready to do, you're ready to do this thing with your mom. You, you go back and write on why you're resentful. So I went back and I wrote over again why I was resentful, because I knew I couldn't go to my mom and make amends if I hadn't forgiven her for what I thought she had done. I knew that, it, uh, that I, my amends would be insincere, and I'd continue to, to do the behaviors that were wrong, the, you know, the, the nastiness and the, the dragging my heels, not wanting to see her. 
So I went back and I wrote why I was resentful and I read it to my sponsor and I picked out my character defects and I wrote about them and I wrote about the opposites and when I was writing about the opposite, something shifted and um, I'll get emotional, this was a really big deal. But I remember I was writing about that I had so much judgment against my mom because she wasn't the perfect mom and what could be the opposite of that? And I thought, well, it's compassion because she's a human being and she did a lot of things that were really right and she did some things that weren't so right but she's a human being and she loves me and she's my mom and I love her and I can just see her as a person instead of as somebody who should be this godlike perfect figure doing everything right and I just felt it was like I felt something shift inside of me and change and this resentment that I had for years was just gone and it's not that I don't still get annoyed with my mom, but all that baggage that I was carrying around for years and years and years um, was gone. And I went to my mom and I made amends. And what I said to her was um, something along the lines of, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and working about it, and I really want to let you know that I'm really sorry for the way that I acted when I was a teenager. I said things that were mean and nasty and terrible and they, you know, and I'm really sorry. I know it was hurtful. And I'm sorry that I haven't always been there for you and that I haven't always made a lot of time for you in my life. And, um, you know, I'm really sorry about that and I want to do things differently. And it was, it was a, a wonderful experience. And, um, and I just felt really like all this, at the same time that I'd been resenting my mom, I felt guilty because I knew that I wasn't being a good daughter and I was supposed to be, you know, she's supposed to be my best friend and stuff like that. And she's not my best friend, so she's my mom. But, um, but now I don't feel guilty because, um, because I apologized for the things that I did wrong and I'm showing up in a different way. What my sponsor had me do was put my mom on my calendar uh, because I can have the best intentions in the world and never follow up on them. So what I did was... I figured out, you know, maybe like twice a month, I'll put her on the calendar, I'll give her a phone call, talk to her, say, hi, how's it going? Once a month, make it a point to set up a date with her because she lives in the area. And, you know, oftentimes we talk more often than that, but to make sure that I make at least that much contact with her because my amends to her is to show up for, for our relationship and to be in a good mood and not treat her like I'm only there because it's an obligation. It's to show up and be nice and, and you know, take an interest in her and be kind and let her know that I care about her and let her know all the things that she does that I really appreciate. That was also part of what I said in my amends. As I said, you know, I just want to let you know that I, I really appreciate all these ways that you have supported me um, and helped me out and all the good things that you have given me in my upbringing. And so um, I have a, a vastly different relationship with my mom today as a result of making amends. Um, I went to Italy last year. I did a, a study abroad program for three months, and my mom and my stepdad came and visited me, and I was happy. I was writing, you know, emails home to program friends, and I'm like, I'm excited. My mom's coming next week. I can't believe I just wrote that to you. Like, who would have ever thought that I would say that? And, you know, we had a good time, and, um, and that's a miracle. That is an absolute miracle of this program that I've been able to make amends for my behavior to her, that I've been able to forgive her for being a, a human being instead of a perfect being, and um, that I have a changed relationship with her. Um, and I found, so I found out how important forgiveness is through that. I also found it out because there was one person on my amends list that I couldn't forgive, and that was my uh, sister. And I tried to do a lot of work on it, and finally I just went and made the amends anyway. 
and that's the only amends that I know I'm going to have to redo. And I did my best. I tried my best. I did the writing and the praying and all that, but for whatever reason, um, I just wasn't ready to let go of that resentment. My sister, we have a very difficult relationship, and... um, and I found out that, you, that, at least for me, I really have to have that forgiveness in my heart um, before I can make an honest amends. This doesn't mean that I can continue treating someone like crap while I'm waiting to get that honest, you know, forgiveness in my heart. But um, a true amends to me I can only make thanks um, if I've really had that forgiveness in my heart. Um, some of the other people on my list. Um, there was there I couldn't make amends to everyone on my list. Some of the people it talks about in the OA 12 and 12 how if we've had uh, years of silent hatred for someone, we don't go to them and say, I've really hated you all these years, and I'm sorry. <laughs> we Instead, we replace that with years of um, kindness and compassion and courtesy. And so there were people on my list who were like that, um, family members who I just treated really, you know, with kind of a disdainful attitude. It wasn't outright hostility. It wasn't anything that would have been appropriate to make an amends for, but it was something that I needed to change my attitude. So my amends was to do things like stop talking behind their back and um, smile at them and say hi when they showed up and just be welcoming at family functions. Um, And amends isn't just saying I'm sorry. Amends is to change my behavior and to make something about the relationship different. And all I can make different is my side of the street. So... um, my relationships have changed a lot, and the other people haven't necessarily changed. It's been because I was willing to do the this work. Um, I made amends to um, to my stepbrother. This was one of these ones I didn't want to do as a kid. Um, when my mom and stepdad got married, he moved into he and his his father and sister moved into our house, and it was kind of like they were on our turf and and. Um, I, I never did anything to make any of them feel at home. And I called up my stepbrother, who I hardly ever talked to, and I was so nervous. I was like, can't I send them a letter? Can't I send them a letter? People were like, well, you could, but, you know, it might be better if you do it in person. And um, this is where amends will surprise you. He was so happy to get my call, and, and we really had a nice conversation about how, for years, our family has been like this. You know, here's the step family, and here's the other family. And we, had, we never really integrated. And we had a really nice conversation about you know, well, why that was and, and how we want to do it differently in the future. And, um, and for me, the living amends, I have to make it really concrete. I can't just say I'm going to do it better in the future. That's why my sponsor had me put my mom on my calendar, you know, say I'm going to call her every two weeks. Um, and we made a really specific list of things that I could do with people like my stepbrother. And it was things like make eye contact, smile, ask him about his job, um, you know, those really simple things that I never learned because I didn't have any people skills when I came here. I walked through the world like, you know, with my eyes down, afraid to make eye contact, like scared of all of you, sure that you thought I was a piece of crap because that was certainly what I thought of myself. And so to learn these little things, you know, making small talk, those are ways that I can make amends to people um, who I ignored, pushed away, um, treated like they weren't worth my time. Now I treat them differently. Um, my financial amends, okay, I'll wrap it up, were very small, and um, I thought that I wouldn't have done my amends properly unless I had gone and prostrated myself in front of people and said, I owe you money, here it is. Um, and my sponsor had me make a donation to charity because that was what she said was what was appropriate for the small. It was, you know, like 
less than $100, and it was um, a situation where, um, you know, she said, you don't need to go to them. You can make a donation to a charity, and you can do it that way. And I thought, oh, man, you know, I'm really just, I, I kind of, I did this wrong. And, but um, I took the guidance of my sponsor, and that was really, really important. I can't say enough how important it was to have someone to guide me and help me with what to do. And I just had to trust her that, you know, my process wasn't about laying myself on the floor and saying, I'm a piece of shit because I stole $20. Here it is. Um, that the way she told me to do it, I trusted her and I did it her way. Um, so my time's almost up. Um, so I'm just going to wrap up by saying that, um, you know, this, this program has changed my life. I have things in my life today that are beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I don't walk around in fear anymore. I have a relationship with a higher power that brings me a lot of comfort. I have friends, uh, wonderful friends I've made in this program who are there for me and who help me out with things and who support me. I've been blessed to have wonderful sponsors to guide me. Um, I, you know, I have sponsees. I have two sponsees right now, and I learn so much from working the steps with them. Um, I, ha I recently got engaged, never would have happened before this program. Um, that's totally a miracle of, of working the steps. I have a healthy body weight, and I spend much, 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 much less time obsessing about my body than I did before. Um, the gifts that I've gotten out of this program, I can't say them. Um, if you gave me an hour, I couldn't say them all. And... Um, you know, it was, it was working the steps. I wanted to come here and get this really easy thing, like sit in meetings and absorb your recovery, but I had to do the work for myself. And uh, working steps eight and nine was really central to my recovery. It was so freeing. I don't have to feel guilty anymore because I'm a bad person. Now I get to go forward with integrity because I've tried my best to clean up the mistakes in my past, and I'm trying my best. Far from perfect, I still screw up, and I get to make more amends, but I'm trying my best to live differently, and um, and that's an incredibly freeing, freeing thing. So thank you for letting me share. That was wonderful. Thanks, Christina. Um, okay, well, carrying on with our theme, amends, humility, not humiliation, we'll hear from our sec second speaker, who is Kem from Concord. Hello, I'm Kim. I'm a compulsive eater, and I want to just first start out with a quick little story that uh, it shows you how I'm still a compulsive eater. Literally in the last month, and I don't remember the exact date, my husband and I were, were working on a house. We just moved, and there's still a lot to do to get it all ready and so forth. So we delayed our lunch probably an hour more than normal. <laughs> and, you know, when you're involved in something, I do that sometimes. But by the time we, we're going to fast food at this point, <laughs> And I'm, and I'm getting my nice salad and so on and so forth. And, and they're slow. They're not bringing it. And there's like five of us standing around, at the, you know, waiting for them to come. And so finally, you know, there, a tray comes up there, and it's not my tray, and there's French fries on it. So I picked one up. <laughs> Somebody, and, and unfortunately, the guy was next to me said, what? What did you do? You, you, just, you just took a French fry off. That's my, and he insisted. I mean, I, I said, well, I only touched the one that I ate, you know, but I'm thinking, oh, shit, as you can well imagine. And he said, take this back. Take this back. And so he made McDonald's people, and there were more fuss going on than I could even imagine, take the whole French fries back. And um, uh, 
give him a whole new French fries. And uh, so I'm slinking around thinking, <laughs> what do they all think of me? And my husband's rolling his eyes and getting as far away from me as he can. <laughs> um, so I'm still a compulsive eater. <laughs> I mean, I still have trouble with meals and waiting and, you know, some of those kinds of things. Um, but this program has brought me a lot of recovery that I'm very grateful for. Um, I have a mid, I have about 20 pounds weight loss, I, but the, the key part in my 12 years is that I have maintained this weight. Because when I came into these rooms, I was on the 5 pounds every 6 months plan, and it was getting closer to 10 pounds every 6 months. And I went past 200, and I was heading to 250, and I, I, I'm convinced that I would weigh 300 if I had not come into these rooms and been willing to work this program. Um, so, so I'm, I'm hoping for further physical recovery because I had a knee operation this year and I realized that, you know, this is too much. I know, I mean, I knew this was too much weight to carry, but I, I just hadn't been willing to do enough exercise to, that I think, you know, eating, it, for me, it's not just eating healthy, it's also exercising that I need to add into my life for, to be healthier. So, anyway, that's, that's kind of what it was, how it shows you I'm a compulsive eater and qualifying physically as, as we try to do. Um, I t take issue uh, about the issue of doing the amends in order because I did one of my earliest amends out of order in the sense that I was still working on my fourth step. My father-in-law had cancer, and he was in the hospital and dying. And I knew that one thing that I was clear about, even though I hadn't done a whole bunch on it, I was still writing my fourth step, as I said, was the fact that he, uh, that I had sworn around him. He, he was an old-fashioned, courteous gentleman, really kind guy, and he, uh, he, he didn't, didn't believe in swearing. And, and I, I did it because I got sloppy in my speech, and if I offend any of you, I bet I'd like to say fuck and shit, frankly. And, and there are some things that baloney and bullpucky just does not work for me. It's got to be clear it's bullshit, and I need to say it that way for me. But... Around him, you know, it really offended him and, and so on and so forth. So a part, the part that I felt the worst about was that I, I got rebellious, you know, and I kind of liked doing it. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I did a little more than probably I would normally because, you know, I, I anyway, because I was a bad, well, because I was um, not being compassionate and kind to him at the time. And I really felt, I knew that this was one I needed to make amends about. So. Um, so I, I talked to my sponsor, basically, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm working on this. I know this is one specific clear thing that I, that I need to make amends about, and he's dying, and I, you know, and I need to do that now. And she said yes, and we talked about how I would do it. And uh, the most important thing, I made the apology while he was in the hospital, and uh, it was a big relief, uh, just, you know, off my chest. But the, the, the other part was the fact that I consciously changed my behavior. I did not swear in front of him again, I cleaned up my language uh, and, and, and felt that compassion and that respect for him that, uh, that he could feel, I think, for me. So we had a, a really uh, loving relationship when he passed on. And, and so that was, that was uh, my, my very first amend. As I say, I wasn't really through working the fourth and fifth steps, but I needed to do that one early. So don't let people die on you if you feel like you have something you need to say to them for whatever reasons. Where you are in this, don't don't do it. I mean that's my point of view about it. It's really it's important that you get off it. 
So then I'm, I worked my fourth and fifth steps, and I got the long list and so on and so forth, and I'm working on uh, different people in my family. And, and the, the second amends I want to tell you about was my sister Leslie, because she and I were uh, close in age, but she was born two years younger than me. And, um, you know, I was the goody girl, and she was the rebellious scapegoat in my family, and um, which was nice, but, of course, I also had to fight with her and pull her hair and bite her and also try to get her in trouble, you know, the way sisters do, you know, like, and uh, tell mom that, you know, she did this and that. I mean, I'll, you know, I did all those sibling things, let's face it. And I and I was clear about lots of things that I'd done to her that I thought, you know, I needed to make amends for, and uh, and I got that list done. And then I kept thinking, well, why did I treat her that way? What was going on? I mean, you know, I mean, well, you know, and, and I got real, and, and I knew there was resentment, and I got to the core issue for me was I resented her existence. I mean, I, she came into my dysfunctional family <laughs> where I was the queen bee, Let's face it, I was, you know, their lovely first daughter and was getting lots of attention and love, and, you know, it got cut in half, or whatever the right words were, and I didn't get the same amount of attention and love, and I've got people requiring me to, you know, to be grown up now, (laughs) and putting higher expectations, I treat my sister right, I just, I, I resented her existence, and that was like, you know, what do you, how do you make amends for something so core? So basic. I just I was I was at a quandary, and and so I prayed about it and I and I asked for help and, and I got this outside of my sponsor because she wasn't quite sure what to do. But somebody very wise said to me, "You need to be glad she's your sister every day for all the rest of your life." And I went, "Oh," and I and I thought about it and I thought, you know. She's the only one that was there with me. She knows me, you know, the longest except my parents. And I got more and more clear that I really did. I mean, I knew that I loved her kind of before, but it was like that, that you know, bonding in my in my own mind that we'd gone past. Um, you know, we've been to the war together, I guess, <laughs> uh, kind of a thing. And and she is still she is today one of my dearest friends. Uh, we talk frequently, and we talk intimately and lovingly with each other. And, and I did also make amends to her in terms of saying I'm sorry, and she said things. Well, you know, you know when I said I'm about the biting and the little pulling hair and getting her in trouble and all those things, she said, well, Kim, you know, I did that to you, too, <laughs> which was true. <laughs> but I wasn't doing her inventory at the time. Um, but anyway, soon after I did the amends, we went on a on a one week trip together back to Kansas where family is and, and so on and so forth. And and I was, you know, in this rosy, beautiful place. My sister and I were, were you know, you know, so forth. And during this trip, she kinda got to be a pill again. <laughs> I mean, she didn't you know, she was still my sister. And I there's some part of me that's still, you know, growing and got into competitions or whatever else. Anyway, it there were times we were bickering and fighting and frustrated with each other and, and irritated and you know, it was human relationships. And and so I, I I didn't know, you know, like do I have to do that all over again and, and because the the long resentments were gone but here I was sort of acting, you know, little I'm sorry or whatever the story is. So at the end I think it was just I felt like, okay, we need to sort of get back into, you know, reality or and I just said, you know, this was kinda of hard being together, you know, we hadn't been together for a long time and driving hot country and all this other stuff and, and I'm sorry if I really hurt you and, and was rude to you or insensitive or something like that. 
And she said, oh, Kim, she said, this is one of the best trips this in my whole life. We had such a good time together. And she didn't even remember any of the things that I had been thinking about particularly. She just felt, you know, she felt the love that was there. And that, that again, was uh, just a really uh, special gift that this program gave to me. The third amends that I want to talk to you about is um, it, it, he, it was my boss at work. Um, I retired from a 30-year federal career two years ago in October of 2002. And about two years before I retired, I got um, mentally depressed, menopausal depression, and, frust and it was related to my boss, John, frankly, and to some degree. He had, well, let me tell you one of the things he did. <laughs> when I had been working for him about six months, um, he had a project he wanted me to do. It was due on Friday and Thursday night. And, and um, I was one of those people that was very dedicated. I was a good employee. I worked late and so forth. And I'd come from a job where I, you know, used to work till 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 at night. And at this job, they said we wanted you to know not working later than seven. But some other people did have permission to work later, and I didn't know how they got it. But anyway, I had to leave at seven. And so this project was due on Friday morning. And so, you know, I tried to call him at home to say, I, you know, I'm not done, and I, it's seven o'clock, and and it's important to me. I, I want to finish this project and stay late and so on and so forth. So I signed out at 8:30 that night. And when I got in the next morning. He came in at 6, and I came in at 8.30 or something like that. There was a letter of an admonition on my desk, a formal like reprimand that goes in your personnel record, you know, about the fact that I had disobeyed. And I thought to myself later, I, and I told people, I said, you were working late because you wanted to complete a project he told you really needed done, and he gives you a letter of reprimand? I said, yeah, that, and he said, boy, that, that's, you know, that's really a little beyond um, Anyway, I needed to forgive him for, for being what I, really clearly I think being mean to me, uh, not listening to me, um, being disrespectful for shutting me up at times, um, and, and really being you know, overcritical, nitpicky, of just a bunch of things that, that uh, was like that. And, and, and so, as I say, I, I was out of work, I was, you know, and having trouble coming back, right? A doctor wrote a letter saying you shouldn't work for this guy anymore. You know, it's just it's not helping her recover, and so on and so forth. So anyway, I got into another job, and and so we had, I mean, you know, and and he was very upset to some degree because you know I have been people pleasing and working very hard for me for ten years, and he, even though he wouldn't let me work past seven o'clock, you know, I still work really hard, and and he. Um, Things were, were tense between us, you know, that kind of thing where you don't look at each other and you, you just, you know, hide, you know, kind of in the hallway. But the, the, anyway, it wasn't it wasn't real good. And I did not know how I was going to get ready, you know, emotionally to, to do these amends with him. But I knew that I really wanted to do. I wanted to leave clean, straight, clean hands. I just, you know, I wanted to get out of there with with that finished for me. And so um, the tool that I was led to in doing this is something that I want to share with you. Uh, it, it involves, um, sometimes you work with another person, or I ended up doing it on paper, but basically you do, I forgive you for the things that you did to me, and then you say, I forgive me about the things that come up for you that you did to them. And, and so I'll just illustrate kind of like how I would do that. And I say, I, I forgive John for being mean. I forgive John for not listening to me. I forgive him for 
shutting me up sometimes when I had important things to say. And I forgive me for having unrealistic expectations of him. I forgive me for, uh, you know, being impatient with him. And uh, I forgive me for judging him. And then, and then more. I forgive him for editing my work and being nitpicky and, uh, you know, wasting my time and long meetings and so forth and, and delaying the budget memo three weeks just because he, you know, had to, you know, get things changed. He changed the word one way one week and the other way the next week. It, you know, it's frustrating to me. And he was re- I forgive him for being really inconsistent. And I forgive me for, again, expecting him to be other than who he is. I forgive me for judging him. I forgive me for uh, not being willing to uh, accept his humanity. Uh, I forgive me for being unkind to him, impatient, dishonest at times, for talking behind his back. I forgive me for my part in it. And as I worked on that, both sides of it, you know, it, it got me to a place of, of balance, I guess, where I really felt like I had forgiven him and I knew now, you know, after a lot of this, what my part in it was and what I needed to forgive myself for. But it was still a big kind, you know, now, now you know, how, how involved do you get this? You say, you know, I forgive you, I forgive, or I need to apologize because I used to talk behind your back with the other employees about what a bad supervisor you were. And, you know, that was an office pastime that a lot of people did. And probably happens in lots of offices, frankly. Um, because, you know, that, that just is hurtful, you know what I mean? And, and then he's going to want to know, well, what did you say about me, you know? And, and it's just going to go off in a whole way. So, so um, my sponsor and I, she said, it, 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 talking about the, the nature of the amends, and we ended up actually typing, I ended up writing something out so that it would be specific and clear, not accusatory, a lot of knots, not would not lead to further negative stuff or not lead him to feel hurt and want more information from me. And it wouldn't, so it wouldn't hurt him, and it also wouldn't hurt me uh, because I have a tendency to want to grovel. When I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the best of the worst. <laughs> and, and when I get into that down kind of place, you know, I want to be the best of the worst, which means groveling is fine, you know, and step all over me, please, because I'm really, you know, in a very bad place. So... So anyway, I'm, I'm just going to read to you what I wrote. Um, and, and I went into his office, and I said, you know, um, we've, we've had a lot of difficulties. And I, and, and I just, I think I said, I wanted to talk to you for a little, 15 minutes or 10 or 15 minutes. I wasn't sure how long it would take. And he said, well, what's it about? And I said, it's just personal. Can we, you know. And so he made some time for me later the, the day I asked him, basically. Um, right before he was going to go home. I think he wasn't sure how this was going to go. And he figured he could get out of there pretty quickly. But... And so then I said, I, I just wanted to let you know that uh, for my part and the difficulties we've had with each other, I want to apologize. In particular, I failed to accept you as you are, and I expected you to act differently. I judged you when it wasn't my place to do so, and I allowed my fears to overcome my best judgment. I acted childishly and immaturely with you. I was very insensitive to you, discourteous, and self-centered at times. And I want to leave here with no regret. And I'd like you to know that I'm doing my best to act more reasonably and appropriately with people in authority for the future. And I really want to thank you for the part you played in helping me grow here, both professionally and personally. I do owe you an acknowledge of wonderful debt of gratitude for many things 
that have happened here that were wonderful and exciting and professionally challenging. And I, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity that I had to work here with you. And the man said, you've made me cry, and I have. And he gave me a hug, and I, I just couldn't believe it. And it, it was one, it still is one of the, the very best experiences of my life of, of cleaning up the wreckage of the past and being able to move on. And uh, um, anyway, I, that was freeing, incredibly freeing for me. And um, the, I guess I wrote down a few principles to sort of talk about. I think you've got them from my story, but I just kind of want to summarize them to things that I think are important. First, the getting ready to make your amends. It's really important to work on your part, the forgiveness part. Get your head, your body, your, your get your soul, your mind, your heart, all clear as you can before you go because any residual things that are left over are going to poison it in a way that's not going to work. That's my belief anyway. Um, and I think try that exercise. Forgive them, forgive yourself if you can. I, like I say, writing it out or doing something like that, reading it to someone, working on that is, is can be useful. Um, don't be too specific in your amends. You know, find a general statement that talks about your defects of character, what your part in it is, without accusing them, out hurting them, you know, or, or making things worse. Because people sometimes you can do that, you know, when you're doing it. And don't try not to lead to further negative stuff. And I think it's important, too, that, that, and I think most people doing amends, I heard it in the other secret story, is that you, after you've got that off your chest, it's sort of natural to remember some good things. To say, you know, I did appreciate some good things that happened here. And so I encourage you to, uh, to find those good things and add that also. Just um, because most of the time I was in the place of being so negative about John anyway and these, that I couldn't remember the positive, you know, or I minimized it. So I was really unbalanced about it. The negative was like this and the positive was like this. And somehow or other, you know, I, I, for me, you know, I, I needed it to be much more in balance when I left. And that meant sort of acknowledging and bringing the, the positive back up. And think about the new behaviors you want to practice. You know, in the time I was left after John, people still wanted to gossip with me, you know, and still wanted to know, you know, and I, and I stopped. I said, you know, I, I, I just don't want to, you know, do that anymore. You know, let's talk about something else. This just kind of stirs me up when we talk about it. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a human being like the rest of us. He's got some good, some bad, you know. And, and, and also I would say to other people, I encourage you to talk to him about it if you really, you know, are feeling that upset because that's the best thing you can do for yourself. And so, um, anyway, that's the kind of, of uh, experience that I have about amends, and, and I thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thanks a lot, Kim. All right, well, our third speaker will be Corey, who comes to us from Los Angeles. Thank you. Hi, my name is Corey, and I'm a compulsive eater and an anorexic. Thank you both so much. My gosh, I, uh, it's nice to be back in Northern California. Um, I didn't think I'd be this nervous, so I just need to sort of put that out there. Um, I've been in 12-step uh, programs for about 17 years, and I've, in December 5th last year, on December 5th last year, I took a candle for 13 years, lucky 13. Um, that's pretty awesome. 
That is pretty awesome. Um, and it, it's not, uh, and I didn't do it. I, I had a part. I did the footwork. And um, I think the credit goes to my higher power and to all of you. And um, that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing. So, amen. Um, I, I, um, I grew up in a family where, um, I, I was thinking this morning, as I, I'm going to be a little bit all over the place while I try and find my center, but I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, um, sort of, she made an outreach call, so I was having the opportunity to listen, and it's interesting how God works, because she was talking all about an amends that she had made recently, or that she was in the middle of making or something, and, um. She was saying some things that gave me chills, and I thought, it's so interesting that you're calling me with help around your amends when I'm speaking on amends today. And um, one of the things that she and I sort of got together, I think, um, in bringing God into our conversation was that I really think that most human beings, unless diagnosably something, are really just trying to do the best we can every day. You know, when I was thinking about the amends that I've made in my lifetime, of being in program, um, and how really the, the motives for the things that I did that required amends really were just trying to survive, you know? And not that it made it okay to do what I did, but um, but really everybody's just doing the best they can. And I, I think that a bunch of years ago I went to a retreat and someone was talking about, there was a, a workshop on amends, and people were talking about the different ways that they made amends, and someone said, that what, the way she had been directed to do amends was to make a list of all of her amends um, and put herself first, but start the, the list at the bottom as she was making her amends. And I, um, I, I don't know that I did that formally because I, I made my list of amends and then I went through and did all the easy ones first just to get them out of the way and to keep the momentum going and, um, I don't know, help myself a little bit, get the not have to do the hard ones first, but um, as I was listening to her speak many years ago about how she had put herself on the top of the list and started at the bottom, I realized, and as more time goes on in program, how much making amends to other people is really making amends to myself at the same time. And really, the the ways that I appreciate and um, have love for myself today and have acceptance have directly come out of repairing the past. Um, I, I liked the, the first speaker paired the fourth step and the ninth step, and I, I also agree that the steps are in order for a reason. And um, I couldn't have made amends without having looked at my resentments first, because otherwise they would have just been apologies, you know. And for me, the difference between apologies and amends are apologies is I'm sorry, and amends are I'm sorry, and I won't, and I'll do my very best not to do this again, um, or I'll amend my behavior. Hey. <laughs> Um, it's cool to be here with all these people, some former friends, old friends, new friends. Um, I, uh, amends, yeah. Well, I guess I'm, I'll just talk about some of my amends and we'll see where that goes. Um, I think my most profound amends was I, um, when I was in grammar school, I stole some money from one of my teachers, from my PE teachers, my, one of my PE teachers, and, um, they were all in the yard playing, and I asked to use the bathroom, and her office was open, and so was her purse, and she, there was a $5 bill, and I took it. And um, when I was a kid, I, I didn't, I wasn't an evil kid, but, but that didn't, it didn't register that that was wrong, because 
it, I don't, you know, I don't know. I won't go into all of that and 800 years of therapy later. But, um, but just know that, you know, my family wasn't. Um, they did the best that they could too, and it wasn't good enough for me because, whatever. But I, so I've grown up in programs. So I, um, as I was beginning, and I've done the ninth step a few times, and more things come up. I think every time I do them, do it. And um, I went back to visit her, and luckily she was still there. And I wrote her a check. I stole five dollars. I wrote her a check for twenty dollars because it was like, you know, I don't know, twenty years later, and I figured interest and blah blah blah. And so I wrote her a check, and I went to see her, and she said. Um, she said, you're here to make amends. Like, after I had said, you know, I took some money from your purse and I wanted to give you this check. Um, and she said, and you're here to make amends. And I said, yeah. And she said, are you in a 12-step program? And I said, yes. And, and I looked. I mean, my whole, my, my, um, my weight spread has been, I've been probably maybe 20, 25 pounds more than I am now. And at just shy of five feet, that's, you know, that's, it's noticeable. Um, and I've been about maybe 10 or 15 pounds lighter, which is very noticeable. Um, so I didn't particularly look like somebody who might have food issues, right? And so, um, and she was a very big woman, and um, and she said, so I could have been any, I mean, I could have been Alan on AA, any of that stuff. And she said, um, you know, I've really been struggling to get back to Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm wondering if you might have a number. And I... Um, Oh, I just got chills again. I, every time I tell that story, I get chills. And I, um, she lives in Pasadena, and I live in West L.A., and that's, you know, different intergroups in L.A. We have tons of intergroups. And, um, and I sent her a meeting list, and I, don't, and I sent her my number and said, if you ever want to go, please call me. I'd love to go to escort you to a meeting. And she never called. And hopefully she went to a meeting, and maybe she didn't. And... Um, and that's not my business. That's her business. And if she hasn't yet, maybe she still will, you know. Um, that's not my business. That's hers and her higher powers. And um, the important thing was that I went back, and I think that's part of, like, amends are great because it frees my soul from being connected to the person that I've done wrong. But it's also an incredible opportunity to do service. And it's, um, I think, you know, anonymity is such a big thing, and we, we have to... Um, I always, I think I try and live my life in a way now so that if I were in a room full of newcomers who didn't quite know about Overeaters Anonymous, but if I was there to represent them, um, that they would be attracted to the program. You know, not to me necessarily, but to the program. They would say, wow, I want what she has. She has such an ethical lifestyle. Um, I mean, I think amends are just a huge part of that. I am, um, I procrastinated on my amends because it says in the book, don't procrastinate. Well, I had got to do it differently, so I procrastinated. Um, I, um, I'll just give you a little tidbit of my journey through the steps. I was in college when I got into program, and um, I got into another program first, and uh, got to OA about nine months later, and got here. I got here in such an interesting way because I knew that I had issues with food. I'm a type one diabetic, and I knew that what I was doing with food um, wasn't good for health reasons. I didn't know it wasn't normal. I really had no concept of what normal was. Um, I had a sense that nobody else in the world probably did with food what I did with food until I walked into a meeting and heard otherwise, but which was really comforting. 
Um, but so I, I, um, I found a sponsor who had worked with Steps in AA. Where I was going to meetings in Humboldt County, um, there were two meetings a week, two OA meetings a week. And if you went to both, you, they assumed that you had a really hard week <laughs> at, at that time. I mean, that was, that was the 80s, you know, um, a product of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But, um, and, and what I didn't realize at the time, because I was so shut down and a little bit self-centered, was that if somebody noticed that I went to both meetings, they probably also went to both meetings. <laughs> but that didn't occur to me because I was thinking about me. And um, so um, so there wasn't, I don't want to say there wasn't a lot of strong recovery because that's a judgment, but there wasn't a lot of long-term recovery. And it was a college town and people, during the summer when everyone went home, there, sometimes the meetings didn't even happen. And so um, I found a sponsor who had worked with Steps in AA and that program was stronger there. And um, we went to the beach one day, and she brought this book, and we read from the first three steps. And, um, and I'll link this back to the ninth step. What I really wanted, I'm a doer. Like, I'm like a, I do this task, and then I finish it, you know, and then I do, like, a clean up, you know, the bathroom, and then I move on to the bedroom, and then I do the living room. I don't, this whole concept of we just keep on doing the steps, like, I get that now after 17 years. In my first year, I didn't want to keep on doing the steps. I was early, very early 20s, and I didn't want to keep on doing anything except um, the things that I thought were going to make me happy, which was getting married, having a house, a dog, um, maybe a boat, depending on where I live, you know, like all the, the outside things, um, none of which I have, although I do have two cats who I love very much, and um, and my life is more full than ever anyway. But So we read from the first three steps, and then we went back to her apartment, and I said, how do you know when you're done? And she said, well, do you believe that you're powerless over food? Do you, you know, um, and your life is unmanageable? And I said yes, and I knew that that was just so, I just thought, I'm not unmanageable. My life is not unmanageable. I'm not powerless over food. I just need to figure out how to control food. And do you believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity? Um, sure, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, I had no sense of God. I was raised um, Jewish very culturally Jewish, and there's a lot of beautiful things. I made a lot of money getting bat mitzvahed. It was like, <laughs> I got in a lot of money. And um, and it, it wasn't that that's, I mean, I'm not going to enter into a controversy about religion. It's very beautiful the way I was raised culturally around being Jewish, but I didn't get a sense of a higher power there. I got it here. And interestingly, I got it here, and now I'm involved in other spiritual ventures in the world where I feel incredibly connected because of my foundation here. But so when I did the first three steps that day, I um, I wanted I, I didn't understand what God was, and I mostly I think said yes about steps two and three that I was willing to or I, that I was going to make this decision to turn my will and my life over because I didn't want her to throw me away because that was my experience was that um, if I don't if from from my family if I don't do it your way like there's there's one way and it's yours and if I don't do it that way then I'm going to be thrown away and I didn't want that so um, and I don't know that that was a bad thing necessarily it was sort of a primitive acting as if but um, so I thought that I was done with the first three steps so I wanted to do the first time I did my ninth step I wanted to do it perfectly like I did my fourth step the first time like I wanted to dredge up my fourth step the first time took me like a year and a half and most of that was sitting praying for what I had forgotten you know instead of like 
give it away and trust that you'll do another one, another. Like, I just didn't have that kind of self-gentleness. So um, in doing my amends, um, the first time it was the same thing. It took me a while, and I started procrastinating. Um, one thing that I got growing up in my family, which really, my family looks really good on the outside. So if you ever meet them, you're going to love them. Just know that it's all a facade. <laughs> no, not really. No, a lot of them are in program now, which is great. But um, where was I going with that story? A men's family outside. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, perfectionism. I am um, growing up in my family, I completely lost my train of thought. I'm not going to pretend to find it, but um, perfectionism is a good place to start again. I am, um, I always, I, I'm such a rigid person. I was going to say by nature, not by nature. I learned to be that way. It, it was really adaptive for me. In program, I've learned to be less rigid, I think mostly because I have a, such a profound faith and a power greater than myself. And, and what I have today in my life is when I come across something that doesn't feel right and I have to walk through it anyway, that I trust that in some way it has a purpose in my life. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but in some way it's going to teach me something that I may need to be of service to a newcomer or that... I may need to be of service to myself, or I may need to do this crappy job so that when I have my next job, you know, I can, um, I'll have whatever skills that are that, that I need from whatever, you get where I'm going. I'm a little ethereal and out there right now, but um, I, I never, I would hear people talk about being perfectionist, and I never let myself use that label because I thought I wasn't perfect enough. And I, um, and the irony is, that's such a perfectionist thing. Like, people who are not perfectionists would not say that. They'd be like, eh, no, it doesn't fit. Okay, move on. Pass the piece, please. You know, and I'm, like, thinking I'm not perfect enough. So, um, so I'm headed nowhere with that, basically. Uh, so in my amends, that's where we'll link it back to amends. In my amends, um, there's no way to do it perfectly. And what I really wanted... I think the first time I did my amends, they were incredibly ego-driven, which is okay. Like, whatever it takes, it takes. And I made some amends that sort of landed on solid ground. And somewhere, I, I said what I needed to say to people, and they didn't receive it in the way that I had envisioned that they should receive it. People can relate to that. I hear the laughter. I um, I wanted, really, to make amends to you so that you would think what an amazing person I am. <laughs> my God, how could she live this ethical, perfect, beautiful lifestyle. Five minutes, okay. Um, and, uh, boy, that's just not the case. I, I um, And what I had to do, and I think part of the amends to myself that I got to, that was, that was really a process more than an event, was as I continued to make my amends and began to forgive myself, was to trust that I, like with that teacher, um, where I did my part by getting her meeting information, it was like I just had to sort of trust that I made the amends, I did what I could, I have to just live that amends every day and that they're that they're either gonna receive it or they're not, you know, and it's um that's not my business. I don't know that I've done I've never killed anybody, you know, I've never like mortally wounded anybody or um I don't know if there's anything that I did that that I completely find unforgivable, but um there there are definitely amends where I, I had a roommate in college, we um we were roommates. We also uh, became uh, romantic. It was a romantic relationship for a while, and um, 
it was at a point in my life where there were things happening and I wasn't ready to accept certain things that were happening. And I cut off the relationship very quickly, as only a child of an alcoholic can know how to do, and um, or a child of an addict. And, um, and I had later to go back and make amends for that. And when I did that, um, I really, I was expecting a reconnection and a friendship and I don't know, maybe this is my soulmate, you know, forever and always. And um, I had this whole sort of romantic vision of what it would be like to make amends to this roommate and um, she didn't forgive me. And I had to walk away from that and think about how long am I going to berate myself for what I did and um, because she didn't, like how long am I going to give her power, you know, to continue, for me to continue to beat myself up. So anyway, I feel like I'm making no sense. But um, I want to also link the tool of sponsorship into this because I, sometimes I, realize the most profound things about my own program when I'm answering questions of my the people that I sponsor. And one day my sponsee um, was talking to me about how she had come from abuse in her childhood. And she was working on a four-step, and she said, I got to the My Part column in how I was abused, and I don't know what to write. And and I, I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound profound, but just know it came from God because it's not. Um, and what I said to her was, I think your part in having been abused is that you continue to abuse yourself. And I think that that's, the, that that's directly linked to the ninth step because it's when we stop abusing ourselves that we really fix the resentment in the four-step column, you know. It's like we, we, just, we stop the pattern. Two minutes, okay. We stop the pattern of abuse with ourselves. Um, I... Uh, a bunch of years ago, I, I, I love yoga. I do yoga, not probably as much as I'd like to, but I do yoga. And for many, many years, um, I I didn't know growing up, but I was born with a hole in my heart. And um, I didn't know that until I was in my mid-20s, and I had heart sur- open heart surgery and had that repaired. But I, um, for many, many years, was never able to exercise. And, just, and, I, and I just thought I just had to be stronger, more diligent, whatever, you know, all the ways that we think that we should have power over things like food and work harder and harder and harder, and then we realize it's really such a simple spiritual thing. Well, so I had this open heart surgery, got the the hole in my heart fixed, Um, but what I was left with was a body that was incredibly injured because I was never able to be very physical, Um, and I wanted to do yoga, and I never, I decided um, as soon as I can touch my toes, I'll let myself do yoga. my experience was that I went to yoga and now I can touch my toes. You know, it's like I had the cart way before the horse, like the next block. I was like, come on, horsey, pull the cart. And um, my my experience is that I um, – this is somehow linked to the nice stuff. I'm sure you guys are all put it together, but it's like a big Rorschach test, I think. Um <laughs> My experience was that I was so, so, so hard on myself, and I guess that's getting back to putting yourself at the top of the list but doing yourself last, is that um, I think it was through the things that I did, the, the little simple footwork things that I did and the baby steps that I did in this program that allowed me one day to walk into a yoga class and trust that those people may be pretzels and I'm not going to be, but it's not a moral issue. It's not like, oh, my God, why can't you wrap your leg around your neck? over your ear and, you know, through the wall. And um, that's my type. So um, 
I don't know, it's awesome. I think the ninth step is quite profound. It's the step through which we get the promises um, before we're halfway through. And that's absolutely been my experience. And um, thank you. This meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please limit your sharing to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Also, all participants must sign the tape release form before you give your pitch. It's right here. The session ends at 3.45, so actually we only have time for um, two shares, right? Two pitches. So who would like to share? We'd love to hear from you. Great. All right. There we go. And is there a second person we can just... All right, well, if you feel moved, just come on up here, okay, to be the second person. Hi, I'm Nancy, a compulsive overeater. And when I heard the subject here, I I just had to share. Um, I've been in OA for 21 years, and I remember when I did my first amends, and it was for my mother who had already died before I ever came in program. And so it, I was led to do um, uh, Meals on Wheels, and it was wonderful. I, I just I knew just exactly that that was the right thing for me. Well, recently, I just want to tell you about we've had someone in our uh, meeting who is quite disruptive, and we've had a difficult time with her. And I... A lot of people have been really cross with her, and I was feeling like I didn't want anything. To, I thought, well, I'm just not going to have anything to do with her. I'll just leave her alone, and because she was thinking people were jealous of her and so forth. And so anyway, I wasn't. I just ignored her, didn't look at her, didn't smile at her, didn't do any of these things, and talked about her behind her back for one thing. And. I knew that in my heart that that wasn't good for me. It, it wasn't. And I, so I started praying. I, I had read in the big book about uh, praying uh, blessings on those people that you have a resentment against. And <clears throat> I didn't know whether I really believed that or not. But I started doing that every single day. And it's been, I guess, about four or five months. And I don't know what happened. Because I have an entirely different feeling about her. It, it, it was a miracle in my life. I mean, I really mean a miracle. I smile at her, and she smiles at me and looks in my eyes. And it, it's just different. I, I, I can't believe it. It's, it's uh, wonderful. So then from that, uh, in my morning prayer, I thought, now, who else do I have uh, feelings like this? And one of them I found out was men. Now, I, I've been married 56 years. My husband died last year. But I never really wanted to face the feelings I had about men. And I thought, well, then I guess I better pray for men, <laughs> the whole world. So I started praying for peace, in, uh, praying for the peace of God in men's hearts. And then I felt like, well, then the first person that needs to have this peace is myself. So I've been praying that, and with all sincerity, it's been a new revelation to me. Uh, so whenever anybody comes into my life and they, and, and they irritate me and I think, oh, you know, I'm not really like them, and I, I pray for them, and I pray for the blessings for them. And it's 
I mean, it's a power that I, I, I just recently, after all these years, have really felt this power. It's changing me. And that's what I need. Not so much changing them. Maybe they won't change. But I, I need to be, I want to be changed. And it's all because of OA. It's changed my life so completely. I, uh, I'm not the same person I was 21 years ago. I, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain it. But uh, I love OA. I pray for OA every day and the, for our unity and our blessings for all of us. And uh, I'm just glad to be here at this, uh, this meeting. Thanks. I'm pleased I'm a postal reader. Uh, first, I just want to tell you that I'm very thankful. Um, my family, we grew up with alcoholics, okay? Dad, mom, my sister, okay? Um, about six weeks before my dad died, at the ripe age, age of 29, two guys from AA talked to him about a program. He didn't want it. My sister got into the program and then got into OA, and she, she came and got me. But about five or six. And my sister and I prayed and prayed and prayed for my mom. One night I get a call. Mom went to a meeting. I said, praise the Lord. She says, well, there's a little problem. She said, so what? She says, this is for a bunch of goddamn drunks. Well, wow, that's what we brought you. you know? But mom didn't get that. And so, by God's grace, I've been here 25 years. You know? The rest of them, my sister went back out with her alcohol and... I don't know if she's ever going to come back, but for me, I'm really grateful for that because why was it me? My sister's the one who brought me. She should be the one, you know. Or dad maybe should have gotten that and maybe, you know, changed his whole life. Um, making amends. Um, the one I had on my, when I first, when I came to the program, they told me what to do and I did it. I wasn't like, but when it came to making the first amends, I bought. Uh, it was to my wife, my ex-wife, and uh, I had to make amends. And, I, and my sponsor, my spiritual guide, told me, listen, you've got to ask for forgiveness. I'm saying, it's a waste of time. She's not going to forgive me, so why ask? You know? But you know, we went back and forth about this for a while, and so I finally said, okay. So I got on the phone, called her, and said, will you please forgive me for da 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 dead side. Will you please forgive me for this? Uh, anyway, you get the picture. <laughs> she wasn't forgiving me for anything, you know. But it was my act of asking. I had to ask for the forgiveness. Whether she gave me the forgiveness or not doesn't make any difference. I asked. Sorry. And uh, my, side of the, my side of the street was clean then, you know. I'd ask for the forgiveness. If she doesn't want to give it to me, then that's okay. You know, I mean, that's, that's her prerogative. And I just... Um, Really thank God for sponsors um, and uh, how they uh, have guided me and uh, helped me throughout the throughout the years here. And uh, I just thank every one of you and uh, just thank God for all the meetings. Thank you.
It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our three speakers again. Could everyone just stand up where you are, grab a hand so we can form a circle or some sort of chain, and um, let's go ahead and do the third step prayer.